Attention SLPs and OTs with existing private practices. Are you ready to level up your private practice and your life and make this your breakthrough year? If so, join us for Make More in 2024, a free training offered on Thursday, March 21st at 8 p.m. Eastern to discover how to shift from clinician to CEO. During the training, we'll talk about the importance of maximizing your income, adding revenue streams, setting up systems, and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable, and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello, and welcome to this episode of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. Today, I'm going to introduce you to Laura Powell. Laura is one of the mentors for the Grow Your Private Practice coaching program. And today, she is going to share with you her journey to private practice. Stay tuned. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high-quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and unnecessary restrictions. We started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives, of our schedules, of our incomes, of our future. We work hard for our clients, but on our terms. We believe in helping others, but also helping ourselves. We are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it. We are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. So before we jump in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice? Sure. Laura Powell, and I am out of Columbia, Missouri. And my private practice is Therapy Unlimited. So this is a very special episode of the podcast because Laura is one of the mentors for the Grow Your Private Practice coaching program. And it's been really fun, Laura, to get to know you through that and having you be a member of my team and having you support our established private practitioners who are growth level and looking to you know hire more people and streamline their systems and earn more money and all those kind of things. So thank you for being part of that program. You're welcome. It's been awesome. So one of the things that Laura likes to do as part of the program is to get to know the members and to really help them, you know, make decisions about whether things are good ideas for them and for their practice, or maybe steer them away from things or share your wisdom. So um, speaking of wisdom, let's go back to the very beginning Uh, Maybe your, we could start with your early career, maybe. I would love to know more about your journey to private practice. I know, I know some of this stuff as we've been friends for a while now, but I'd love you to share with the listeners, what were things like in your early days as a speech pathologist? Sure. I started um, my career as a speech pathologist in the schools. And so I, I worked in a middle school and then I really haven't done very much elementary school, but I had about six years in kind of secondary schools. And one of my school placements was at a school for, it was an alternative school for kids that weren't successful in their general school. And so they were sent there. And 
you know, it was, it was not the most desirable placement for lots of speech therapists, but I requested it every, every year because there was a good family of team with the staff actually. So yeah, the kids were hard and you know that, but it was really just the, the staff that kind of drew me to that over and over every year. So that's kind of where I started. So really what started my private practice thinking was when I was asked by my pediatric dentist for my kid uh, when she was two, he said, do you do tongue thrust therapy? And I thought to myself, yeah, sure. I'll do tongue thrust therapy, but I had no idea that it was a whole other arena of practice. And so that's what started the whole kind of private practice, but I didn't realize what I was doing. So essentially what happened was I started searching tongue thrusts and I was like, oh, oh, okay, I'll go get the training, blah, blah. So I went and got trained um, and I thought, oh, I'll just see a couple of kids on the side in addition to working at the schools and all that. So that's kind of how I started. Never in a million years did I think that I would do it full time because I thought, no way, I have to have some kind of security. I have to have insurance. I have to have, you know, I, I have to have a salary. Anyway, so I did uh, most, I did full-time jobs and then private practice on the side for a long time. And my career led me to work in outpatient at a pediatric place and at an adult place. And so I had all of these, a wide variety of experiences through that. And I also worked in an ENT clinic as well. So I had all of these, these different aspects of speech therapy through the medical realm that I didn't know I was going to use later. I just was like, okay, I guess I'm going that way. And through all that, I was able to learn just this, this broad spectrum of things about the speech pathology world. So I was able to see how the school districts function, was able to see how the medical placement function. And so through all of those experiences without having a clue about, you know, having even an idea that a private practice was in the works, um, I was able to use kind of all those skills and, and apply those to private practice. So the transition from the part-timey, you know, working full-time in the part-timey kind of thing, that happened when I uh, was working for a medical facility and I just decided that uh, patient care philosophy was not in it just it just wasn't driving and i thought to myself you know i can't practice the way i want to and serve families the way i think they need to be served for for me and so that's why i decided to kind of take the leap and just do it so i did it anyway i love it i love so many things about that story the first thing that i love is that you talked about your early experiences in the school for kids who couldn't be in their regular schools and you talked about the team and really wanting to work with those types of professionals who were kind of, you know, a family and all like in it together. And um, we'll get to this later, but I think that's one of the things that you feel very strongly about is leadership and leading a team. And so I'm curious to hear, you know, what your experiences at that, at that place really at that school helped you later. But before we get to that, I really liked how you talked about too, how you had this breadth and depth of knowledge in the field and we're able to be, you know, having this, you know, work with kids, work with adults, having kind of this generalist approach and having all of this knowledge that you didn't even know you were in essence collecting before starting to transition, you know, into really thinking more about private practice. 
And a lot of people do have that idea of, you know, I'll start on the side and maybe I'll just see a few kids. And then as things start to maybe take off, then they think, oh, but wait, I need that insurance. I need that steady paycheck and whatever else. So all of the things that you're saying, I'm sure that the people listening are thinking like, oh my gosh, like I, yes, I totally know what Laura's saying. I feel the same way too. So tell us about like really how you started to make that transition from I've had all these different experiences. I'm learning more about tongue thrust. I'm thinking that maybe this isn't going to be just an on the side thing. So what happened next? Yeah. So I, so let's say, what did I do? Okay. So I worked full time uh, at the medical setting and half of my time was at the adult and half of my time was in the peds. And so I knew in, I was kind of in the works about starting, um, you know, finding a name, deciding I'm really doing it. So I, I had to really think strategically about how I was going to transition out from a full-time, you know, being employed to full-time private practice. And so because initially I focused mostly on peds, I decided to get rid of the peds aspect of the medical setting I was working at. And so then I went down part-time. And so I did part-time adult work, and then I did part-time my private practice. So then I started to market to pediatricians and learning how to accept insurance and all of that. So when I first started, I really did sign up for seven insurance companies all at once. Um, I hired a credentialing company to do it. And I figured out quickly, I don't, I did not like that because I was out of control of that situation. And so I quickly hired them and quickly fired them and just decided to learn that process on my own because I feel like I did it better. And so I took that, oh, it was probably six months that transition, the the part-time transition. And so I took that time to, yes, take a few clients on this, on, you know, in my practice, but I also took that time to learn the, you know, learn the insurance game a little bit because I was very, very green. I had no idea when I would call to get benefits and eligibility information at the beginning, I would say, hi, and they'd be like, Hey, so what do you need? And I was like, ah, I don't really know. And yeah, yeah, I felt stupid lots and lots. I still feel stupid, but that was really bad. Anyway, so I, I did that for a little while and then I decided, and then after about six months, I got rid of yeah, my employment completely. And then I was able to build. So through, uh, let's see, how long was that time period from, let's see, 2007 to 2015. So it was about eight years. It took me to decide to go from very part-time starting out with a couple of people to full-time. So, I mean, it wasn't just like, oh, in a couple months, I'm going to choose to transition. I mean, it took me a long time. And in that time, I was able to build my reputation with orthodontists, dentists, that kind of thing. So it wasn't a quick overnight, oh, I'm going to market myself and get a, you know, a full caseload of people. So by the time I was ready to transition full-time, you know, people knew who I was and I had almost a full caseload. So yeah. And then that next year I started adding uh, other providers because then I was able to expand because one of my friends that I worked at in the pediatric medical setting came with me and she uh, has some really awesome early childhood skills. And so we were able to go kind of tout those skills as well. So as people come, then I'm able to be like, what do you like? Oh, let's go find the the people that really need that service. And so that's kind of how I, I built from there. And I'm still building the same way. 
I, I love that approach. And I like how you said that it took you a long time to transition, right? And I guess maybe not even a long time. I mean, long is relative, right? It, it yeah. depends on how, you know, there's no right answer on that. It's whatever is the right answer for you, right? And had you wanted to transition to full-time sooner, I'm sure you could have done that, right? Because it sounds like, you know, once you made that full transition, then you started hiring right away and then you really, you know, grew from there. But there is a lot of merit of growing your name and your reputation before you jump into private practice, right? I, I tell people all the time that I actually don't recommend that people leap or jump into private practice, which people think is funny coming from from me, like the private practice lady. But there is a lot of risk involved in doing that. So, you know, yes, some people do it and yes, it works for some people, but it's also can be very overwhelming and scary for others. So I like that you talked about using that time and, you know, I don't know, I know that you've got, you know, kids and I don't know if your kids were young at the time or kind of where you were in, in that life cycle, but that probably was maybe another reason why you didn't make the full leap. Yeah. I had a two-year-old and a six-month-old. I actually, I started my private practice really at the very beginning, because I discovered I'm not a stay at home kind of person. Like it was, I was working part-time in the school district and staying home part of the time. And I thought to myself, okay, what are my goals for the day? And I'm thinking I have to just be here with my kid. No, I have to do so anyway. So, mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah. Yeah. And that, that too is, is a great decision, right? Like everyone has their own way of operating, right? There's other people who get into private practice so that they can stay home with their kids plenty of times. And there's others who use it as a vehicle to either get back into their professional career or start to amp up their professional career. So I think that that's too, you know, something for people to think about is what do you want, right? What do you want in your life? And then try to help your, use your private practice as a vehicle to help make those dreams and desires come true. Yes. I will say that if I would have tried to grow fast at the, you know, do it without having all of the experiences at the ENT clinic and all of those kind of things, if I wouldn't, didn't have those experiences, I would have been a very different private practice because I wouldn't have been able to see insurance the same way. I wouldn't have been able to kind of be able to navigate the school district as far as like how, how IEPs work and being able to contract with schools and answer questions for them. And, and so I think that for my experience, it would have been really different had I not taken, you know, those seven or eight years to, to kind of do the, the pre-work. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, we all have different, different journeys, right. And different, different timelines, but forward is forward, no matter what that looks like for you. But so once you decided to go full time, though, I think that you said that you brought somebody along with you. So what did your private practice look like in those early days when you when you really made that shift to full time? Yes. So when I was doing it, it was just me before I brought my friend on. Um, I was seeing every kid. So it was like even the little bitty people and all of that. And in that time, I discovered I am done with little people. <laughs> I'm more of an adult kind of practitioner. And, you know, I had seen little people in the past and it was fine and all of that. But, you know, when I, when it was all on me and that was it, I was like, oh, no, no, no. I have to find somebody else to fill this because I can. And I know there's little people in this community that need help, but I'm not the one to give it to them. And so 
I had talked to her before and all this, she knew all of this whole process because she was my friend, you know, at, at the clinic and she'd been in on all what I was thinking. And, and so it was like all just kind of came into, into fruition and, and it was time for her to go and it was time for me to add people. And, and so she started working, working with me. Um, the and second she person, the little ones. Oh yeah. Cause she liked the little people. Perfect. Um, the second person I added was actually a patient of mine and I was seeing her for paradoxical vocal cord movement disorder and we started chit chat and she was like, I really, I work with people with autism and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, Oh, ding, ding. Hold on just a second. I need somebody. And so she was in the process of thinking about moving to California and she went and interviewed there. And I was like, well, if the interview doesn't work out or you decide not to move to California instead of Missouri, you just, you let me know on her way out of the interview. She called me and said, can I come shadow? And I'm like, yep. So that was, you know, but it's, it's finding out what people really like and seeing if that fits into kind of the system. And so my, the focus of my practice is really family centered. So it's, you know, bringing the family in, educating them, working lots with family. So if that doesn't drive with people, then they're not going to, not going to fit with us, but the culture, culture of therapy unlimited, but yeah. Well, and that makes a difference too, because, you know, if you're, if you have, you know, certain values that are unique to your private practice and every private practitioner, every practice, every business has its own core values or it should anyway. Um, And if someone doesn't align with those values, then that could be a problem. There's, there's a book that I read recently that I actually sent you a copy of called traction. And the book talks about how you should hire fire and reward people based on whether or not they follow your values. So, and that sounds like what you, what you've done, right. Is to, to hire people earlier. You talked about letting go of the insurance um, credentialing company, which I think was also smart too, because then you got to learn it and you got to, you know, you knew about yourself that you wanted more control. So that was, that was good for you. But I think that that's a really interesting thing for people to think about is what are the core values of your company, even if it's just one person, right? Even if you're a solo provider for now, you want to be thinking about what your values are because that could also impact what kind of clients you see. For you, being family-centered is at the heart of your core values. There are other people who, let's say, work in you know, accent modification or in other things that just you know, family maybe isn't so much of a part of that. So that wouldn't be in alignment with them. But I think that you're smart to be thinking about, you know, not only what is your, your values, but like what roles can people play within your private practice? So, so you were able to do more of the adults. You had your one person seeing the kids. This now person is seeing autism. So what kind of other people do you have on your team? Yeah. Then I hired an occupational therapist that also came along. She was also at the pediatric clinic with me. And uh, we, we just started seeing a need for, you know, uh, some of the kids we were seeing needed some OT too. And so I said, Hey, are you interested? And she's like, absolutely. Yes. And the advantage I have of those two gals is that I already knew them and I knew kind of their patient care philosophy. And so I knew that they'd be a pretty good fit. Then after that, I was able to take on a couple of CFYs and 
uh, one of them did their full outplacement at Therapy Unlimited. And so we knew kind of how she did her practice and she was a really good fit. Um, and she's still with me. All of these people are still with me. And then the other one was actually a, <laughs> it was a really random uh, because I don't really have a caseload for people. It's not like I build a caseload. And then when people call, I'm like, yes, here is your caseload. So when people call and ask me if I have any openings and I'm like, maybe I can't say yes, because I don't know, maybe. And so when she called, it was over FaceTime because she was from Philadelphia. And so she, it was, you know, just a random that she had called me and She's like, well, do you have a case? I was like, well, I don't really have anything to just like hand you. But two days later, a school called me and asked me to do a contract for them. And so I was able to call her back and be like, in fact, I do have for sure some people that you will be seeing. And so I was able to to hire her too. But just this path. So right now, all of my therapists, my speech therapists are completely full. So I need another speech therapist. And somebody just... There are a couple of, of students that just graduated in December called me and I did one interview of her FaceTime and she's like, yes, very interested. And she figured out that I, it wasn't like I had a, a thing to just hand her and it was like a guaranteed number of patients. And so she was like, man, I really need a, need a solid, you know, number of people. So I can't, I can't do it. And I said, okay. But in, in the back of my head, I was thinking, well, if you're not willing to take the risk with me, then maybe you're not the best fit anyway. Cause it, you know, private practice is risky. Everybody involved. It's a risk for everyone, including the people that work for me, because it's, you know, we are at the mercy of insurance. We're at the, if you accept insurance, we're at the mercy of referrals where, you know, so I, I have to have people that are, that are passionate about my mission or our mission enough to take the risk. And, you know, someone else will come along, right? I mean, that's the other thing that, you know, people who listen to the podcast know that in the last year, like I've gotten into the universe. I just feel like, you know, whether people believe in the universe or God or or whomever, that, you know, the right people will come into your life when you need them to. And whether that's employees, whether that's patients, whether that's, you know, clients, families, um, an office space, no matter who it is that needs to come into your life, when you're really ready for that person to arrive, I believe that they will arrive and that they'll be there for you. So I'm sure that you'll be able to fill this you know, opening that you have for an SLP fairly soon. So in the last, um, because I know you too, I know that you moved locations in the last year or so. How did that process go for you? Yes. So my initial office space, so I started out going to people's houses. I did that for maybe three years or so. And then I found kind of a studio office space that had a bathroom and all of that. And it was a really cheap deal. So I had that for three years and that was very, served my needs great. And then um, when I did, when I went full time, I found an office space that had three treatment rooms and when I moved there, I was freaking out because it was huge. And I thought, there's no way on earth I am filling three office. There's no, I can't. It's just me. It's just little me. How am I going to, this was stupid. This was the dumbest decision. And uh, within three years, we were busting out of there. And so I had to find another space. And so I, it took me a year to find a space. And I knew that 
the second location with the three office spaces, that nothing was required as far as build out anything. We just moved in. So it was crazy. The one that we're in now, we did have to do a build out. We had to redo the whole thing. And so I started looking a year before my other lease was up and hardly any realtors would talk to me. They're like, it's too early. And I'm, and I always, I was like, y'all people, it takes a long time to make it safe with it, how it needs to be. And so finally a realtor listened to me and he showed me the space and it took three months to figure it out. And then nine months to build it out. And it was like to the wire exactly when my other lease was up. Wow. So that was an interesting process. Yeah. But now you're, you're in there and you've been in there for how long? A year. Yeah. So last August, 2018, we moved in. Nice. Do you have enough space to meet your current and future needs? I do. I've hired one OT since then and an independent contractor, a speech independent contractor. And I was able to get an office assistant, which was really scary in itself because they're a non-productive person. And so that was really weird for me because I thought, how am I going to pay somebody if they're not making me money? Like, I don't understand. No way. And so I actually hired him before, right before we moved to our new location. So I was able to get him in and kind of uh, teach him all of our processes and all of that before we moved over to the new space. But this past fall, he went on a two week vacation and we about flipped out. Like we're thinking, and now I'm like, how in the world did I do this without an office assistant? And so you don't even know what you are needing until, you know, there's that little bit of like, oh, gut punch. How am I going to do it? And then you do it. And then it's like, how was it any other way? I don't. So yeah, that was interesting. Well, and it sounds like, I mean, you're certainly at a place though, where you need that level of support, right? Because you've now grown your practice to a degree where, you know, in the beginning you were able to wear all the hats and do all the things, but now you're at a level where there's no way that you could do that. And and you really shouldn't be doing that at the level that you are now. Right. It's been cool because he is able to be a support to all of my therapists too. So I think that he's the steady rock because all of my therapists are out in the community serving people. They're in the schools. They're kind of everywhere. So nobody, cause I don't run my therapist schedule at all. They kind of do their own thing. So I honestly don't have a clue when my therapists are going to be in and out. And so he's kind of like the steady thing for my families and he's the steady face for the therapist. They know he's going to be there to answer the phone. He's been a good addition to the team. So. Perfect. Okay. So back at the beginning of the interview, you talked about the school that you worked at and the team that was there and in place and how much you liked being a part of that. What degree, if any, did that experience shape how now you lead a team in your private practice? Well, I definitely think that it helped me decide how important a team that has each other's back is. Um, So that school was difficult because the kids were difficult, families were difficult, that kind of thing. And so it's like you really had to support each other in order to be effective. And so that is what I do. I try to instill in my clinic now is everybody's mindset is whatever it is, I'll help you. I'm going to help you. It's all, it's like share the knowledge, share the information. You know, if somebody's having 
a difficult case or something, everybody jumps in and they're like, oh, have you tried this? Have you tried this? And so my physical clinic is set up where all the therapists are together. And so they are all able to ask each other questions. We have a drop box that everybody, you know, drops their shared you know, therapy materials in. I They're emailing all the time about, hey, you guys, this is cool. Look what I found here. Feel free. One of the therapists goes to the public library and checks out all the books about like, you know, fall or something. And then she sets it and, and it's like, if anybody, you know, wants to use these books this season, and then I'll just take them back. So just little things like that, that I think just create a culture of let's help each other out to meet the needs of these families. I like that. So, right, because now we're talking about like two different ways to set up culture and values, right? So you have your treatment approach is to be family-centered, but your leadership approach is to cultivate a, a place where people have each other's back and they're in this, you know, mindset of sharing. And it sounds like, you know, as a boss, you also are giving people, you know, you mentioned not really knowing when your people are coming and going and they kind of set their own schedules, so it sounds like you also have, you know, more of a hands-off, indirect way of, of leading. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I wanted to treat my employees how I want to be treated as an employee. So all of the places that I have been, I have felt sometimes micromanaged, but other times like I can't make clinical decisions because of a system. And so I didn't want to create a stronghold on people, my employees, so that they don't, they didn't feel like they were able to make clinically competent decisions. And so I think that that has in turn resulted in more respect um, from them. I think that they're happier because they feel like they are respected enough to be trusted to make good decisions. So I don't, I don't dictate how long their sessions are. I don't dictate how many sessions. I don't have a, a quota or a productivity. Um, the way I've set it up is that they're pay per session. And so they decide how much they want to work. And unless they are have medical insurance through me, they have to work at least 30 hours because of the, you know, the standard or whatever for the insurance. But other than that, I don't have any stipulations on them for those kinds of things. And I think it's worked out because they're able to, because, you know, I used to sit in the clinic and I think to myself, well, there's cancels and no shows. And, you know, I have this big chunk of time. I'm just sitting here waiting. I could be, you know, running errands or doing whatever I want, but I, I can't because I have to be in the building anyway. So I, I think, um, I didn't want that for them. So, yeah. I think that's great, right? That that's too isn't it interesting how we take our experiences in life and then try to, you know, shape the experiences, you know, for ourselves and for others in you know hopefully more positive ways than we were once recipients of. So it sounds like, you know, the way that you are running your practice is just, you know, that you're letting your employees just be mature decision makers. And so that they can give, you know, excellent clinical care. And you've also mentioned a couple of times that you've had, you know, everyone has kind of stayed with you, right? So the, this philosophy that you have on leadership seems to be working too from a longevity and productivity point of view for your employees. Yes. So far, it's been great. 
it might kick me in the butt later, but who knows? And I, you know, I'm, I think I won't, I won't change anything unless that happens. And I'm a pretty good communicator when, when situations are difficult, I'm not afraid of difficult conversations. And so, you know, if it needs to happen, it needs to happen. You know, one of my OT, she's really, you know, getting notes done as uh, an area where she can grow and she totally knows that. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, I'll just be like, Hey girl, what are you doing? No, I, I need you to think, come on, this, you know, that's part of your job. You know, <laughs> like, and so I'll just, I'll ha- and, and we have such a relationship that she's like, I know. Okay. Okay. I'm on it. Thank you for holding me accountable. You know, that kind of thing. So it's never like come into my office. We have to sit down and have this serious conversation about your notes. It's more like, Hey girl, we got, we got to get this done sister. <laughs> so I like that. And I'm sure that they appreciate that as well. Something else that you mentioned is um, holes in what you're offering. And it sounds like you also are trying to help your, your employees be able to work with the kinds of clients that they also enjoy working with. Would you say that, I know that you have a family centered practice. Would you consider yourself also having a generalist practice or do you have also some more specialties within your clinic? Yeah, I do have some specialties. So one of my speech therapists, she is certified in pediatric vital STEM and she's the only one in Columbia. And so we're able to help with those kinds of needs. And so she also, one of the feeding specialists in our area just left. And so there's this big hole also. So she's, you know, she's going to be able to step up and help with that. One of my OTs really wants to do work with vision. And so we are in the process of figuring out, you know, what ophthalmologist we could go talk to, what optometrist we could go talk to that, that would help build her, her caseload that way. I have a speech, a mom of one of my patients, she actually wants to do some early childhood language groups. So she's approached me and was like, Hey, do you think there's room for this in this practice? And I was like, sure, let's talk about it. Let's see what that looks like. And, and so, you know, if needs come up, then I try to see if I can meet them. So a couple of years ago, one of my parents of a, an adult with autism was like, hey, I've heard of this, this book club for people with disabilities. Do you think that you could do that? So I was like, sure. So we do a book club. And so just, I would say that a generalist in a sense that if a need arises, I try to see if we can meet it. If it doesn't fit, it doesn't fit. But if if it seems like we can figure out how to get it done, I usually work to see what the logistics are and see if we can get that going. So I love it. So what does the future hold? Do you think, you know, we're just at the beginning of a new decade here, a new year. What does the future seem like it's going to be for you and your practice? That's a good question. And my answer to that would be whatever comes up. So it's not like, and some people are like, what you didn't? Cause I really, honestly, <laughs> oh, I spoke at a shark tank class for my middle school kid. And the, the teacher was like, so how was it building your business plan and all that? And I was like, huh, I didn't build it. I didn't, I didn't write a business plan. So, and he's like, oh, thanks for that. Cause you know, he's teaching the kids how important a business plan is. And I come in and say, yeah, I didn't do one of those. So, but I think that it's kind of like I don't necessarily have a, a drawn out plan because I don't honestly know what, whatever comes up. I'm like, oh, maybe that that sounds cool. Let, let's see if we can get that. Okay. So I'm not sure. I do have a colleague 
that wants me to buy her practice in another city. So I don't know. That I mean, there are certainly people who, um, and I don't know if she's retiring or just, you know, isn't, can't do it any longer or whatever, but that is something that comes up from time to time where people have opportunities to buy a practice or, you know, just sometimes opportunities fall into your lap for all kinds of things. A lot of people get into private practice because an opportunity fell into their lap, right? There, that's kind of what happened to you, right? With the, the pediatric dentist, right? this whole thing kind of... <laughs> started, you know, maybe not because you had that internal drive to start your practice from the beginning. Some people do. Some people from grad school or from when they were kids know, I want to be a business owner. I want to start a practice. Very few people in our profession seem to though. And so it's more like opportunities come along and either you can, can say yes or, or no. My, my big quote that I'm loving right now is opportunities don't disappear. They go to someone else. So probably if this, if you don't end up, you know, purchasing this practice, probably someone else will, or, you know, maybe the thing will just fold all together, which would be kind of sad, but I think definitely keep me um, in the loop about what you end up doing about that. Cause that could be a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be done if it, if I could do it well, but I would, I would have to redo some, so that, would, that would be a new a new thing to me to kind of to take something that's already established and see how things either can be shifted or if people don't, you know, um, I don't think that I can adapt to somebody else's culture yeah. and lead the people in that. I don't, I just don't think it's in me. Well, remains to be seen. Yep. That's right. So is there anything that we haven't touched on yet that you would like to share with the listeners in terms of lessons you've learned along the way or, you know, pearls of wisdom, things that you wish that you had done differently or things that you're glad that you did them the way that you did? Well, so I supervise grad students at the University of Missouri and I always tell them, and I think, I think it's true for students, grads, you know, mature clinicians is don't limit your vision of yourself. So when I was at the end of grad school or when I, you know, when I had classes about voice and swallowing and, you know, the older population in my head, I'm like, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to be in schools my whole, whole career and I'm going to retire in the schools and I'm only doing kids. So my listening skills in those classes were a little bit low. And so, you know, if I would have listened better, maybe I would have, you know, not had to do so much on the job learning, (laughs) but I, you know, I was kind of tunnel visions there. And so you never, you don't even know what opportunities are going to come up later. And so closing doors, just because you're, you already have this, you've already decided. Nope. And then you close it, but you don't even have a clue. So don't close any doors and lock them. You might, you know, you can leave them creaked a little bit of crack, but don't close them all the way. Cause you might open that door back up. If you would have said you're going to own a private practice, I'd have been like, yeah, no. Mm-mm. So it's been cool. Well, it, yeah. And I think that, you know, what you just said about leaving doors open, it sounds like your plans for the future are to have wide open doors. Right. That you you've you've gone so so far from closing doors that they're wide open. And as you said, you know, who knows what 
you know, opportunity is also what, what interests your employees might end up having, right. what, what needs might arise in your local community, potentially purchasing this other private practice, like who knows? Yeah. Well, another thing about that, it's so funny because my, my, I named my business therapy unlimited because I didn't want to be specific to a location and I didn't want to be specific to a discipline because you know, what if, who knows that day I did forward thinking good for me, but one of my parents comes up to me and she goes, so your therapy unlimited, right? And I said, yeah. And she goes, well, how come you don't have ABA therapy? And I said, huh, ABA therapy. I said, that's an interesting thought. I'll give it some thought. But for me, myself, it doesn't necessarily fit with how I practice. And so in my head, I'm like, nope. So I think open doors, but having your own set limits. So you know what doors to not open for yourself if they don't fit into your, into your space, into your physical space or into your philosophical space. I would say maybe don't try to make something just because, you know, somebody suggested it or somebody else thinks you should. I love that. Well, Laura, thank you so much for sharing your story and your expertise and your philosophy on how you run your practice. What is the website address if people want to go check out your practice online? It's www.therapyu.org. So it's the letter U. Fantastic. So everyone go check out Therapy Unlimited with Laura. And if people are also interested in getting to know Laura a little bit better, again, I mentioned she's one of the mentors in Grow Your Private Practice, which is my coaching program. To learn more about that, you can go to growyourprivatepractice.com backslash Laura, and that will be Laura's specific page, and she'll have a quote up on the top, and you can also get to know her better if you decide to join us. So again, thank you so much, Laura, for doing this and for sharing your, all of your info with the members. And yeah, just thanks a million. You're welcome. So how much do you love Laura Powell? Can't you see why I have her hired as one of the mentors for Grow Your Private Practice? The energy that she brings and her expertise and how she has run her practice is truly inspirational for me and for all of our members and hopefully for you as well. So if you would like to get continued access to Laura, who again is one of the mentors in Grow Your Private Practice, you can head over to growyourprivatepractice.com backslash Laura and sign up. You'll have access to her in the private Facebook group, as well as tons of resources and materials that will be available for established private practitioners who are looking to grow their practices in terms of growing their income, having better marketing, hiring more people and getting that support, and also streamlining their systems. So again, if this is something that is interesting to you and that you're needing at this moment in time, and you have an established private practice, head over to growyourprivatepractice.com backslash Laura. Thank you for listening to the episode, and we'll talk next time. Now that you've listened to the episode, I want to invite you to a free training. Do you have a business background? Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school. But here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned. And I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time. And yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs 
get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part? These trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com. Click Start or Grow, and we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independentclinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.